Welcome to the Gridiron Stud Show. Chad Wilson going solo today, this week. Emil Calamino not able to be with me here today, so I'm happy to take over the reins and run this whole ship by myself today as we roll into week 11 of the NFL season, week 12 of the college football season. Hurrying along very, very fast here, rapidly moving through the football season. Well, let me just say the college season. NFL season, we've only made it halfway through. So if there's one plus to having a 17-game season is that it's moving uh, slightly slower as we're only really halfway through this thing. And uh, we don't have a clear playoff picture yet in either conference. But uh, we'll get to that in the NFL segment of this show, along with uh, some things we need to get to in college football. The committee has come out again. And, uh, of course, there are people that are going to be upset every week. Um, I commend the committee for just going out and doing what they need to do uh, each and every week. Can't worry about the fans. Something I wish a lot of college program athletic directors would start doing. want to get into that in the program. Um, stop listening to these fans. We'll talk about that on the shows. A couple of seats are getting hot out there in college football. We'll talk about whether or not they need to be hot or not. I really should have that as a segment, though. Hot or not, should, should the seat be hot? I might have missed an opportunity to do that here on the show today. So we'll talk about college football hot seats. Somebody's about to get paid, and I mean really, really paid. Um, what to make of the college football playoff scene. Uh, we'll get into the NFL. And is Mac Jones the truth? A lot of Mac Jones lovers all of a sudden. Should we be buyers? of Mac Jones. We'll talk about that in the show today. And there's another way uh, the NFL is uh, ruining their product. I'll get to that in the show. If you know who I am, um, you probably can make a safe prediction as to what I'm talking about there. Um, there's an NFL team out there that's um, in danger of falling flat on their face. We'll talk about that and more on the show. But before we get into that, uh, if you've just dropped in on the show and you're, or you have not yet had a chance to subscribe, please go ahead and do that right now on whatever platform you're using to stream this show right now, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, whatever your stream, uh, your podcast stream of choice is. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button. I don't want you to miss any future shows. We do a really, really good job here. And though we don't have the big name yet, um, I'm sure you guys can appreciate the type of college and NFL talk that we give here. And we'll you know, occasionally dabble into other sports when it's necessary, absolutely necessary. Um, we, uh, we feel like we do a really good job here, so we don't want you to miss out on any future shows. So go ahead and hit the subscribe button. If you're trying to follow me on social media, at Gridiron Studs, whether that is Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, feel free to follow me there. If you want to follow Emil, again, who's not with us today, check him out on Facebook. And uh, E-M-I-L is the first name. C-A-L-O-M-I-N-O is the last name. You always have fun with the spelling of his last name. Italian, if you didn't realize that, uh, based on all the vowels in his last name. Uh, but uh, he's a good follow on Facebook. He'll dabble into sports, make you think, um, politics, and just human interest. He's a man of many words um, and, and, and many Facebook status posts. So feel free to follow him. There. All right, let's jump into college football and the talk here. Let's talk about some of these hot seats that are out there. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I've been on Florida and Miami fans. Uh, Miami has gone ahead and let Blake James go. I think that was probably long past due. Uh, you know, I'm not always in favor of firing a guy unless, you know, it's warranted. And to be quite honest, though, there have been some accomplishments for several different sports programs at the University of Miami. During his tenure there, the truth of the matter is that the main thing, which is football at the University of Miami, I don't care about anyone who thinks they want to dispute that. It's football. That's the main thing at most schools, and that is the case at the University of Miami. He has not taken care of that part of it. Whether that's poor hires or whatever the case may be, Blake James just didn't get the job done there. So um, there's time for a replacement, and he's been let go or he left on his own, whatever the case may be, um, Blake James is out of there. Here's my hope for the new athletic director that comes in. And some fans may find this harsh, 
I also do not care about that. The new athletic director, whether it's a former player or you know someone that was uh, connected athletically to the program or someone from the outside, my sincere hope is that you in um, that you ignore the fans. The fan bases now for college sports um, are completely out of control. They may have always been this way. You know what the word fans is short for? It's for fanatics. But with the advent of social media, they have too much access. They have, uh, their words are counting too much, let me say. And, you know, I know it's a sin to say that in this country that, oh, you should, you know, everyone should have a voice. Yeah, you should have a voice. Doesn't mean we got to listen to it. Fans, uh, for all of these fan bases, um, and some of them more than others, though they, you know, don't want to admit to it, are really and completely out of control. Their expectations are way out there. And primarily, when, it talk, when we talk about college football, it's for those programs that won in the early 2000s up to the 2010s. They have it the worst. USC, Texas, Florida, Florida State, Miami. The places where the programs won titles in between 2000 and, uh, let's say, 2012, 13, before Twitter became a thing, they have it the worst. Because they all feel like they're entitled to titles now. Despite the landscape of college football changing, they feel like anyone who comes in there now to coach should immediately have them contending for a national title within two or three years or get rid of the coach. And just the continual cycling out of coaches at all of these places that I mentioned has just gotten completely out of control. And you know what? I just don't think I'm going to be successful. Me or anyone else are going to be successful in getting the fans to calm down, change their train of thought, whatever. They are what they are. You know, I've been at a battle with Florida fans for quite some time now. And the majority of them think it's all about me being upset about their comments to my son, Marco Wilson, after he threw the shoe. It's not what it's about. I was out on the Florida fan base in the middle of Kyle Trask lighting up defenses every week during the 2019 season, and you started having a Florida fan base contingent on Twitter talking about Emory Jones. Emory Jones should be the quarterback. I'm a guy who sat through the Muschamp years and the Mac years where offense was extinct. It just didn't happen at the University of Florida. You had to beg to get into the 30s against Vanderbilt. And if you played anyone of any amount of quality in the SEC, you were hopeful that you can get three touchdowns. I lived through that. Now, I'm on record as saying totally love Will Muschamp. Loved what he did there. Loved the way he had the defense playing. But he would admit, and any Muschamp fan would admit, he just didn't get the offensive thing right. Much as he tried, it just didn't happen. We lived through that part of it. I love the defense, but offense was just not something that was happening during the Muschamp years. It continued into the Mac years. We had Doug Nussmeyer there trying to run a complicated pro system with college guys that have econ classes and other classes up until 1 p.m. It's not an all-day thing. And I get what Doug was trying to do. He just didn't pull the plug on it soon enough, continued, and Mac showed some undying uh, loyalty to Doug Nussmeyer, and it was his undoing. So I lived through that. I lived through the 18 and a half points per game era. In comes Dan Mullen and um, immediately wins 10 games, gets to a New Year's Six, a New Year's Six Bowl game, 11 the next year, has the team in contention. They go to an SEC championship game in 2020. He's turned the whole offensive thing around. You've got quarterbacks doing the things that Kyle Trask did. Sure, he started off with Felipe Franks. When he came in, Felipe Franks was the experienced quarterback. Any coach in their right mind would gravitate towards that player first. Whatever the case may be, Felipe Franks goes down in Kentucky, and in comes Kyle Trask, gets the team back in the game, wins the game, and then proceeds to be a solid quarterback who improved each and every week, and by the end of the year was lighting defenses left and right. And a big part of that was the play calling by Dan Mullen because he's an excellent offensive coordinator. Anyone questioning that is just retarded. Whatever the case may be, um, Kyle Trask making great reads, 
moving the ball down the field, scoring touchdowns, and the fan base is talking about Emory Jones. That was my first sign of trouble. There was a lot of bitching during the Muschamp and Mac years. All right, now, you know, I'm new to the whole Florida fan base thing, and I was like, all right, I understand it. Um, you know, with Muschamp, you just come off of the Urban Meyer years. I get it. Muschamp wasn't Urban Meyer, so people were upset about that. I was new, dealt with it. Matt comes in, gets you to two SEC championship games, albeit you weren't very competitive in both of, both of those games. And, okay, I kind of understood it. Now when you get a third guy in there and he comes in and totally flips everything around, and, for, and if, nothing, if nothing else made things exciting in Gainesville again, and you're bitching again? And then you want the quarterback that's getting the job done replaced by the backup? I was out there. Then it rolled into the summer of turmoil where we had COVID and Black Lives Matter and you had players, young players there, guys that go, going to college. They're just football players. They're going to college. They're learning. They're in they're enlightenment. They're growing as men, expressing themselves and their feeling about um, what was happening in our country with George Floyd, um, police brutality, etc. And you had players on, you had fans on Twitter essentially telling them to just stick to football. That was strike two for me. And then, of course, we rolled into this uh, 2020 season. Guys playing football, dealing with COVID-19, and then there's more bitching. Then I was out. Everything that came after that was just gravy. Then, of course, we had the shoe incident. And, um, you know, I'm not going to go into it there. I think it's, you know, well documented as to what happened. So. I was out on the fan base then, and I've just realized that at least the ones that I'm able to hear thoughts from, because they put them out there on Twitter, mind you, where recruits and players are known to migrate, uh, they've decided to put their feelings out there. I'm just over that. Just You're destroying your program. But we're not going to change them. So all I could say is for athletic directors, and there's going to be a new one at the University of Miami, um, do your best to ignore the fans. Do what you think is right to get the program where you want it to be, whether that's keeping Manny Diaz or getting another guy in there that you want. Do your coaching search. You've been hired to do a job. Do it. And to hell with what the fans got to say. And all quite honestly, they don't really obtain games no matter what, not like the fans in Lincoln, Nebraska, or in some other places in the, in the, uh, in the Midwest and Northeast, they're not going to just come anyway. So do what you got to do. When you start winning, they'll show up and pretend that they were fans all along anyway. So just tune them out. They got a problem with the coach. That's their problem. They don't want to come to games. Fine. It's what's happening anyway. Now, I'm on record as saying, look, are things 100% correct at the University of Miami on the football program? Of course not. Are there some coaching mistakes made on game day? Sure. Got a rookie head coach in there. You decide to hire a rookie head coach, you better be ready to go through some growing pains. He will make some game day fubs. There will be some mistakes made. There will be some strategic problems. There will be some poor coordinator hires. There will be some position coaches that maybe need to be transferred in and out. Some guys may need to be fired. Some guys may need to be reassigned. You may need to hire new guys. That stuff takes time, not three years. Now, if the university wants to just be known as a place where a guy comes in, if he doesn't get it done in a year or two, he's out of there, so be it. You're going to be a clown program. No real coach is going to want to come there. But as one fan really just put it out there for me and just to give an insight into their mentality, when your team sucks, having the man that's at the helm get fired and going through a coaching search is like Christmas. It gives them hope. And they want to do this every two or three years. I think the biggest problem is that these guys get on Twitter. They talk trash all summer long with other rival fan bases. We've seen Miami, Florida, and Florida State do their round robin of shooting at each other on Twitter. And when your words come up empty because the season is not exactly the way that you projected it to be, to those fans, then they want the guy fired. 
They want to write checks and have the coach and the players cash them for them. And these fans are doing it with the most ridiculous expectations that you could possibly have. University of Miami has not won a championship in 20 years, have not played for a championship in 19 years. We're 1-8 in our last nine bowl games. We have one double-digit win season over that same span. I'm not sure what they expect. Should we have high standards? Yes. We should have realistic standards. And that's not us returning to national championship contention in three years. Could it happen? It's possible. Anything's possible. Is it probable? Absolutely to hell not. We've got similar things going on at Texas, USC, Florida, as I've already discussed. And Florida State, to a certain extent, although the folks in Tallahassee are happy off of the last-minute win over the University of Miami last week. For University of Miami fans that aren't as fanatical as the ones on Twitter, you had to know it was going to be this kind of a week, losing the Florida State game. You had to know since Michigan State, every loss and any loss that occurred this season was going to lead to hysteria in the fan base. Now we've got mythical fantasy coaching searches going on while Manny Diaz is still holding his job, and no one has said that he's going to lose it, at least no one who writes a check or is, you know, matters in the whole situation. There are others out there who think an athletic director change instantly means that the coach in place is going to get fired immediately. You guys are in for a sad awakening. Here's the other sad thing for fans out there that want to have their Christmas of a coaching search. LSU doesn't have a coach. USC doesn't have a coach. Start there with those two programs. Virginia Tech now doesn't have a coach. Washington needs a coach. Those four programs are high-level Power 5 programs. You can go on and debate all day long as to whether your program is a better job than the other program. Your thoughts on that doesn't matter. What matters is what's in the mind of the potential coaches out there and what they think they could do at a program. I'm here to tell you, when you're acting an ass on Twitter and social media, you just devalue the, your program. You make the program undesirable for a coach that's hoping to come in and get a job done and not get fired from his job because it's, you know, a red flag on your resume. So when you present yourself as a fan base that is not at all reasonable, you devalue the program. You devalue the job in the eyes of potentially good coaches. For those of you who think, oh, if a coach is worth the salt, he'd be able to jump in there and not worry about the fan base and be okay with the expectations. Bull crap. I say to that. A job is evaluated by several things, and one of those is the ability to win. Another one of those things is being given the right amount of time and resources to get the job done there. And when your fan base wants to give a guy one, two, three years, that's a red flag for the program. So, Florida, Miami, Texas, where the AD had to come out. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian is in the first year at Texas, and the AD has to come out in support of to come out in support of Steve Sarkeesian. It's ridiculous, ridiculous. Texas, what are you trying to do to your program? So the top three most toxic fan bases right now are Florida, Miami, and Texas. To the three of those programs. And the fans out there, you can go ahead and keep wrecking your program with your ridiculous expectations because recruits are seeing it, current players are seeing it. It's not going to help your recruiting classes. It's not going to help the coaches that are on the field right now. And all your bitching on Twitter has not resulted in anything positive. Texas has lost. Texas is losing games. Florida's losing games. Miami's losing games. So all your bitching has not helped at all, whatsoever. You can go ahead and blame that on the coach, players, athletic director, etc. The more you bitch, the less the teams win. Add that up. So my only hope here is because I know I've just spoken to the wind, talking to the, to the fans. And by fans, I mean the social media fans. 
I'm not talking about necessarily the fans that actually attend games. We don't really know what they think because uh, most of the lazy reporters that exist now don't really talk to those guys. They get all of their information and their fan base feelings from people who post on Twitter. That's just lazy journalism. But I'm talking about your social media fans. You guys can go ahead and keep wrecking it. I know I'm talking into the wind. So the athletic directors, you need to ignore those guys. Do your job that you're supposed to be quali qualified and hired for. Make the moves you need to make. If the coach who's struggling right now needs to stay, into the, stay in the position so that he can get things where they need to be and figure things out, then just do that, Mind, irregardless of what fans have to say about it. Because if you're worth your salt as a athletic director or you spend any amount of time talking to your coaches, you know things take time. It takes time to build a staff. It takes time to change a culture. It takes time to get recruiting right. It all takes time. There is one Urban Meyer. There's one Nick Saban. And we've been fooled before by guys that come in and have success really, really quickly. And everyone wants to say, well, look what this guy's done. I was hearing that about Mel Tucker. Look how quick he turned around Michigan State. They're having a good season. Two, three years from now, it might not be that. And I love Mel Tucker, but we still really got to wait. Tried to tell you guys, I've done the research. Five years, you know what a guy is. In year five, what that coach is in year five is what that coach is. Not two, not year three. We've been fooled before. I always use Larry Coker as an example. Year one, national title. Year two, playing for it. You would have just said, oh, give this guy a lifetime contract. Oh, yeah? Look what happened after that. In the same vein, you can take a look at things and say, you know, sometimes a guy comes in and struggles at first, and then things get really, really good. Next week, I'm going to present the findings of my research on that. You guys need hard evidence. I know it won't matter to some fans because, again, you need your Christmas. You need your mythical coaching searches when the season, the one season, doesn't go the way that you want. So I'm only cried at a new athletic director to the University of Miami is ignore the fan base. They'll come to games when you win, period. They'll pack in there like they did for Notre Dame to be a part of it. Don't expect them to be there for anything else. They're fair weather. It is what it is. And so the story goes. Um, in terms of a college football playoff race, etc., um, we've got a top four of Georgia, Alabama, um, Oregon, Ohio State. I don't know if anyone's bitching about that. I didn't really get into that this week. If you think Cincinnati should be in there, you're drunk. Okay, Cincinnati can't beat any of those four teams I just mentioned. We're going to do this every year. Every year we're going to have one of these smaller schools go undefeated, maybe get a win against a top-tier team, and we're going to do this whole thing. I guess it's fun to do. But I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time on that. The top four is what it is, and that's where it belongs. And you guys that were bitching before about Oklahoma not being in it, they were undefeated, well, you saw what happened last week. And the committee actually watches football games, guys. They watch more football than you. You fans just watch your team, and you catch highlights from everything else. These people spend their time watching it. And we're here to tell you, Oklahoma did not look the part. And then that was proven in black and white for a majority of the country to see on the big noon kickoff last week as Baylor um, really took it to Oklahoma. No surprise there from me. And kudos to Dave Miranda, um, who really just has the sauce for Lincoln Riley. Just really is, um, understands how to defend his offenses. Speaking of Lincoln Riley, uh, he had to come out and deny rumors about him possibly going to LSU. That LSU job is open, and it just menacingly hangs there, um, tormenting athletic directors across the uh, country, as well as fan bases who think they may lose their great coach to LSU. Well, someone's going to lose their coach to LSU. We just don't know who yet. You know who it's not going to be? It's not going to be Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Michigan State is uh, on the cusp of making Mel Tucker the highest paid 
college football coach, definitely the highest paid African-American college football coach ever, as the uh, alleged talks are a 10-year, $95 million deal. And man, kudos to Michigan State. Now, I just said earlier, we don't really know yet about Mel Tucker. This is year two in the program. He's having a good season. We haven't gotten to my preferred year five mark yet, but you know what? He's doing a job there. The players seem to be buying in early on. Let's hope he can continue that. You know what? Lock your coach up because LSU's hanging out there. And Florida, that fan base has already fired him. That's hanging out there too, of course. USC's hanging out there. Maybe Miami will come open. We've got Virginia Tech open. So I think Mel Tucker is going to be one of a couple of other coaches that are going to see their paycheck increase just because of these jobs that are open and others that may come open. If there's one good thing about um, the Twitter craziness where they fire off coaches left and right and they hold mythical college coaching searches, it's that a, a guy like Mel Tucker can get paid. And now we're talking about Mario Cristobal uh, possibly leaving Oregon to come to Miami or maybe LSU or something of that nature. So. Um, I think Mario just got an extension this week for another year on his contract. I don't know if that's going to be enough um, if, if he's thinking of going somewhere else. But yeah, there are going to be a couple of other guys that get sewed up. We saw Minnesota sew up uh, P.J. Fleck earlier this year. They were definitely preemptive. Because I could have definitely seen P.J. Fleck heading over to Penn State in the event that James Franklin leaves for one of these open jobs. I personally think Franklin is on the move to USC. That's probably a good fit. But going back to some of these other spoiled fan bases like Florida and Miami, I got news for you guys. Not only are you competing against the programs that have open jobs right now like USC and LSU and Virginia Tech, you are competing against the other programs that are going to lose those coaches to one of those programs. So, for instance, you've got USC, LSU, and Virginia Tech open. If Penn State loses James Franklin, then Penn State is also open too now. And let's say Oregon loses Mario Cristobal to one of these other places. Well, now you're also competing against Oregon. Is this the market that you want to be in? Looking for a coach? I don't think so. Because like I said, you're going to fall lower down on that totem pole just by coaches looking at, well, um, what are those fan bases like? What are the expectations there? And then uh, the athletic director, um, as the program shown, a willingness to give a coach time, like Nebraska is doing with Scott Frost. They're showing tremendous patience there. Like a, like a place like Michigan that sticks with Jim Harbaugh. And look at, look at how they're getting paid off now. You haven't shown that, Florida, Miami. You haven't shown that ability to be able to do that. Three years in, you're getting rid of a guy. And again, um, I'll present my findings on my little research about the length of a coach's tenure and the amount of success next week, on next week's show. We'll do that. But anyway, those are things um, to look at going forward in this college football scene. It's probably going to be one of the most tumultuous turmoil-filled college football off-seasons in terms of coaches uh, moving around that we've possibly ever seen. And it makes sense because that's how we operate now. More and more, we are impatient. We don't allow guys to make mistakes. Guys got to be really great right off the bat. You better be in national championship contention, or you better be in conference title contention. It doesn't matter if Clemson's in your conference, or if Alabama's in your conference, or if Ohio State is in your conference. None of those things matter. If you're not winning uh, it all in two or three years, you're out of there. So it would make sense that this year would present one of the biggest offseason in terms of coaches moving around. It's musical chairs out there, guys. More than one of these programs are going to make bad hires. For all these jobs that are open, maybe one is going to get their guy that's going to be able to stay there for five years plus and actually pan out and do anything worth a damn. The rest. Most likely, you're going to have a guy there that you're going to want out in three years.
that's just the way that it is. Sorry, that's how that's going to roll. That's just how that's going to be. Sorry to break the news to you, but it is what it is. Listeners, if you love getting cash back like I do, then you've got to get the Get Upside app right now. Get cash back on your everyday purchases without changing anything about how you shop or live. You'll pay however you normally do with a credit card or debit card, and cash back will be deposited directly to your GetUpside account. There's no limit on how much you can earn. GetUpside even works with other coupons, discounts, and loyalty programs. First, you claim your offer. Find local offers on everything from gasoline to restaurants and everything in between. Second, you spend. You shop as you would at your favorite spots around town. Third, check in or scan receipts. Check in to log your purchase, and you'll be on your way. Finally, get rewards. Earn cash back and cash out whenever you want via PayPal, e-gift card, or check. It's just that simple. I love coffee, and I get mine for free just by earning cash back from GetUpside. Download the app and get started getting your cash back today. Click on the link in the description of this episode to get started. All right, coming up towards the end of the show, um, our picks, both Amos and mine. Amos not here, but of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the picks here. He did send his picks in. So he did, he did grace us with that. He did leave us with that. So I will have his picks, uh, my picks as well. Uh, we did really, really great last week. I was 4-2 and two overall between college and NFL. He was 5-1 and one overall between college and NFL. So you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for that coming up later on in the show. Time now to pivot to the NFL game. We were all geeked up and ready for that Sunday night matchup, weren't we? Between the Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. Just so looking forward to the Los Angeles Globetrotters. I mean, Rams coming together. All the stars. Newly acquired Von Miller and, and OBJ. They're going to blow out San Francisco because they've got the names and they've got the guys. And that's just all that it takes. Just sign names. Ain't that right, Sean McVay? Got Matthew Stafford in the offseason. We've signed Jalen Ramsey a couple of years ago. Now we've got Von Miller, and we've got Aaron Donald, and we've now got OBJ. They're going to just run straight through the league. Well, someone forgot to tell the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. Because they woodshedded the Los Angeles Rams. Took them out behind the woodshed and whipped these guys, them and all their stars. Stripped them. Now we got a bunch of funny memes out about the Los Angeles Rams. It's really funny to me. Some of these outlets like, you know, uh, Bleacher Reports and places like that, they were so willing to throw all the hype. They found every little video and played every little hype video about OBJ coming to Los Angeles. They just really fed into it, whipped all the fan bases into a frenzy. OBJ's coming to LA. He's amongst the stars. Da, da, da. They're the main ones now putting out the funny memes, dragging the Rams back down the flagpole that they helped rise them up. See what the media does? They have fun. They get content blowing things up. They get content tearing things down. It's just funny now to see all these memes coming out about the Rams. At the end of the day, the Rams are a really good football team. How good? I don't know. The signing OBJ and Von Miller make them instant favorites for uh, the Super Bowl, maybe in the eyes of the media. But in all honesty, if we're just being honest about it, it's kind of hard to manage all those personalities, number one. It's kind of hard to figure out where all these guys fit. When you've got to pay all these guys, you don't really have any depth. Witness what's happened with the wide receiver situation. Robert Woods goes down. Now you really, really need OBJ. He's going to need some time to figure all that out. And does he really fit into the offensive scheme and everything else that's going on the way Robert Woods does? I'm venturing to say no. I'm venturing to say he's not going to run around on that offense the way Robert Woods did. Maybe this will be a new appreciation for Robert Woods, who earlier this season, um, Needed to have amends made with his quarterback and his head coach after they played Arizona and he wasn't targeted much. They came out the next game against Seattle on a Monday night and just threw every other ball to Robert Woods. Now, he wasn't vocal about it, at least to the media, but it would appear as though the way he was targeted in that game that he at least said something behind closed doors. And you had that going on. 
before OBJ came to town. You also had Deshaun Jackson on the team who suddenly wanted to be traded and left Los Angeles probably because, and I'm just speculating here, he didn't have enough targets. Just didn't see himself fitting into that offense. That was before OBJ even made it there. Here's another thing that I saw on uh, the Sunday night game with respect to, to Von Miller. Yes, he wasn't in there every snap, but are the Rams going to be in a situation where they feel like they feel pressure to include Von Miller in certain situations when he probably shouldn't be out there? I saw a lot of situations where the Rams ran a five-man front, and this is to have Von Miller on the field with an Aaron Donald when maybe they shouldn't have. They're going to have to figure that situation out really, really quick. Another thing that was disturbing is the way, the kind of success that the the 49ers had running against the Rams' five-man front. A whole lot more success than a team should be having against another team that's running a five-man front. Shouldn't be able to just run the ball at will against that. And that's a primary front that the Rams want to run. And when you've included that front with a guy like Von Miller, at least what you think or thought Von Miller was going to be, and you're still getting punctured, that's, it's always bad news. I don't care what team you are. You could be the Detroit Lions. If that's happening to you and you're winless, you're going to remain winless. And for the Rams, who are trying to vie for being the top team in the NFC at least, win their division, try to get home field throughout, and you're getting you know, manhandled on your five-man front that has Von Miller in it, um, it's certainly bad news. So we're going to continue to follow this experiment and see that is this the way to actually build a team. I know Tampa Bay went out and got a couple guys last year. Did they really go get stars, though? Now, Tom Brady brought Gronkowski out there. Yeah, he's a star, but in an essence, it's really two guys that had worked together before. It's not what you have with Matthew Stafford and OBJ. You've got to hope that they mesh well together. They've got to figure each other out, and does that really happen midseason? When you have Tom Brady and Gronk, these are two guys that have worked together for several years. You got Antonio Brown. You weren't really relying on Antonio Brown. Just kind of an afterthought. Perhaps that's what OBJ can be. But there, are other, there seems to be some other missing components for the Rams that would suggest it's not going to work out quite the way that it did for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Only time would tell. I could be wrong on this. And I'm sure you guys would take me to task and hold, hold my feet to the fire on. But um, we will, we'll just have to see on that, won't we? Like I said, only time will tell on that. Um, let's get to Mac Jones. There's so much Mac Jones love this week. So much. Didn't see any of this in the pre-draft run-up. He was just another Alabama quarterback with a low ceiling. You know, there's just something to be said for landing in the right spot. Of all the rookie quarterbacks, I'll venture to say that Mac Jones landed in the best spot. You're going to, um, you know, a Super Bowl champion franchise with a great offensive coordinator, the best head coach of all time in the, in the league, a system in place. Maybe you don't have the outstanding weapons offensively that some other places have, but there's a tremendous system there that you're kind of built for. doesn't really ask the quarterback to be mobile, to sit in the pocket, which essentially is what Mac Jones does. So he's definitely in the right spot for him, and it would explain why he's having uh, the most success in terms of on, you know, wins and losses. And of course, that matters. But the Patriots are on a four-game win streak. Um, you know, until this game here against Cleveland, I don't know that they really took down any one of substance. It was the Jets, which is easy money. The Chargers, who are struggling right now. Carolina, who up until last week, you know, was not it. Cam Newton certainly helped. The arrival of Cam Newton certainly did help. The return of... You know, McCaffrey certainly helps 
and then Cleveland. Okay, you blew out Cleveland last week. So there might be a little hysteria over them being able to do that. 45-7 win, yes, will certainly open some eyeballs, and now everyone loves Mac Jones. And listen, the guy's a solid quarterback. Is it Super Bowl time over there? I don't know. Is he NFL Rookie of the Year? I don't know about that either. Maybe we might want to slow down a little bit on that. So much Mac Jones love. But where do you guys sit on it? What do you think? Too much hype on Mac Jones or, you know, should we, you know, should, should he indeed be given all of this praise? It's not really lighting it up in terms of stats. I don't know if he's had a 300-yard passing game yet. Maybe he did against Dallas. I don't know. I mean, there's something to the kid. There's some moxie, obviously. He shows some leadership skills. He's cerebral. He has a football IQ. That's great. But should there be all this hype around Mac Jones right now? You guys tell me. And feel free to email the show, cwilson at gridironstuds.com. Looking forward to hearing from you guys on that. Or you can go ahead and comment on Twitter, at gridironstuds. Drop your comment there. Why not? Everyone else seems to have an opinion there. And I don't mind, you know, if you're commenting on something from the show, um, I'll have an intelligent conversation with anyone. Just don't be an idiot on Twitter. Tend to tune those out. I will hit that mute button quick. I will mute and block folks on Twitter that uh, just can't have an intelligent conversation. It's okay to oppose what I'm talking about. I have a lot of opinions. It's okay to go against them if you can do so in some kind of an intelligent manner. I'm the kind of guy that likes information and data, so if you could present something like that, um, that works for me as well. If you just want to be emotional, that's cool too. Just don't be an idiot. That's all. So again, at Gridiron Studs, or you can email the show, cwilson at gridironstuds.com. I will, you know, on occasion read an email if it's, if it's a good one. Gives us something to think about. Down for that. But those were two of the biggest things in the NFL that I wanted to talk about was uh, what's going on with the Rams and all of the acquisitions and then uh, what you have going on with all of the Mac Jones love. But in terms of looking at some of the playoff races that we have going on in the NFL right now, um, it's tough to figure things out in the AFC as well. You know, Buffalo's come back to earth. Like I said, you've got the Patriots surging there. Starting to look like that's going to be a really, really good race is to figure out who's going to actually win that division. We were just going to give it to Buffalo in a runaway. Emil and I picked Buffalo to, you know, win the AFC East. We picked them to win that. We picked them to go to the Super Bowl. If you guys remember that show, we had the Bills and the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl, which is still, you know, a very high possibility. But neither one of us figured the Bills would be in a fight for their life to win the AFC East. We're going to definitely see how the rest of the season goes on that. Baltimore looks like the team to beat in the North, but for all of that, they very well could have been in a tie with the Steelers right now. Had the Steelers figured out a way to kick a field goal, or get any kind of points in that overtime, they would both be six and three. Tennessee is definitely getting the job done, eight and two. The Colts just hanging around in there at five and five. Who knows if they'll still be above five hundred when the end of the season comes? And then we don't know what's happening in the West. Raiders were looking like the deal until they went full felonious assault. Chargers are up and down. We just don't know what the Chiefs are yet. Are they back or are they not? They blew out the Raiders, but who's to make? What's to make of that? The Raiders are complete. They're a dumpster fire right now, off the field wise. So we don't know. We may know a little bit more when the Chiefs take on the Cowboys. I think my man Amel has a pick on that this week. I think that's one of his picks. So uh, you'll have to stay tuned for that. Over in the NFC, it's feast of famine over there. Cowboys sitting there at seven and two. Packers at eight and two. Tampa Bay. Run into a little bit of trouble of late. They're six and three, and we've got the Cardinals at eight and two, and the aforementioned Rams on the show um, at seven and three. It's going to be fun to watch that. Whatever the case may be, the NFL playoffs are going to be a whole lot of fun this year because you a lot of you got a lot of really good teams that are going to be in there, and then there are going to be some good teams that don't make it in. Some traditionals that uh, we thought could do it uh, that aren't going to make it, and there's going to be some real spoiling in that NFC. Uh, come down the way. You've got a lot of these top teams that have got to play each other. Arizona has to play Dallas. They also have to play the Rams. The Rams are playing Green Bay. Um, 
you've got a lot of great games coming up here. You're going to have playoffs before the playoffs in the NFL coming up this season. All right, but if you have any thoughts on that, feel free to reach out to the show. Again, email cwilson at gridironstuds.com or reach me on Twitter. Or if you happen to be on Facebook, if that's how you found it, and uh, I put a post up about the show, um, you can drop your comments there. I'll read that there as well. And we'll probably have something to talk about in that thread or in future shows. So, you know, some of the content that we get that Emil and I talk about comes from some of the comments that the fans uh, might make with regards to previous shows. All right. So uh, with that said, let's move into our pick segment. And I know that's what a lot of you guys have come here for each week. Some of you degenerates that want to bet on everything out there. I'm only joking on that. Kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit. Before I jump into these picks, I got to ask some of you guys out there um, because I see fans get really, really upset on social media um, with individual players or with coaches, etc. I want to know, are you guys, especially college football fans, are you guys college football fans of a program and you bet on that program every week? Is that something that you do? So I'm here to tell you that's really, really a good way for you to just give money away. You are not going to be a rational human being uh, when it comes to your team. And if you, to just take money and throw it away like that just doesn't make sense to me whatsoever. You just simply cannot be a fanatical fan of a program and has gone bet on them every week. Or just even bet on their games. That's suicide. I'm assuming you're making bets because you want to win money. You've got to just take the emotion out of it. For God's sakes. If you're a Texas fan or Ohio State fan, the last thing you should be doing is betting on Ohio State or Texas games, whether you think they're going to cover or not. God forbid, if you're just picking them to cover every week, are you out of your mind? Have you lost your, have you taken leave of your senses? This makes absolutely no sense to me. So yeah, I'd be interested in knowing if you're a fan that does that. Do you bet on your college football team every week? Again, C. Wilson at gridironstuds.com if you want to own up to doing something like that. Find that very, very interesting. All right, let's get into the college football picks. Um, that's where I was definitely the man last week going three and O in college football. I had not been leading up to that point, although I'm starting to get hot lately. I think I was two and one the week before and then three and O last week. So that's my sweet spot in the season. Made some mistakes early on, probably picking too many SEC games, whatever the case may be. But my three and O last week took me to 12 and 15 on the season. Amol was also uh, did very well in college football last week. He went two and one, and he is like me, twelve and fifteen on the season. Now the overall season record does not suggest that you should listen to anything we're talking about. But I'm here to tell you over the last three weeks we've been pretty pretty good, and it's not how it started; it's how it ends. All right, so um, let that be the case. All right, let me talk a little bit about what Emil likes this week, and I'm reading directly here from his notes, by the way. Emil likes USC plus three. He likes to pick USC games. And he doesn't always pick the Trojans. Let me just jump out and say that. Doesn't always pick the Trojans. But nevertheless, he likes the Trojans plus three this week. Thinks they're a, you know, a worthy play to, to make. It's been a, a wild kind of season for them. But um, he. Definitely likes the Trojans this week and thinks, like I said, that they are a, a, a worthy play. And so, uh, reading from his notes right here, nothing's gone expected for the Trojans this season. Sitting at four and five with three games left, they need to get, they need to win two of those last couple of games, two of the last three games to be bowl eligible. If there's one thing that could take a sting off of a terrible season for USC is its win over their rival Bruins. As we come to that time of year, USC has a freshman stud quarterback in Jason Dart. I believe in the kid as well. We both believe in the kid, so he thinks he's going to be a spark here for the Trojans. 
and that uh, with them being an underdog to the up and down UCLA Bruins, he likes them in this game. He also likes Utah. He stayed in the Pac-12 this week. Likes Utah. Um, he thinks it's simple. USC, Utah is just better than Oregon, period. Yes, we know Oregon is the team that's ranked in the top 10. He just think, thinks Utah is, a, is the better team in this. They're certainly a very physical football team. We saw that in the Friday night game against Stanford. If you happen to stay home that Friday night and pay attention to that game, they just manhandled, totally manhandled Stanford, which was pretty impressive, just, just to be honest, watching that happen. Um, he just thinks they're a better team and thus should be um, favored as they are. Um, and Utah's on a three-game win streak. He thinks that continues. Also likes Oregon State, plus three um, in their game this week. Likes them against Arizona State, who seems to be going through a little bit of turmoil right now. He thinks Oregon State is sneaky good um, and thinks they'll handle their business in their game against Arizona State. What do I like this week in college football? Let me just start off with agreeing with Emil on the Utah pick. I also like Utah minus three, and I do believe that they are probably the better team right now. Not overwhelmingly so, but I just think they have a physical element that I think is going to be a problem for Oregon. Um, I think they may control the line of scrimmage. They may keep their offense out there and keep Oregon's offense on the sidelines. Not to mention it's been uh, a week of distractions for Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal, getting his name heavily included in um, the potential to be the next University of Miami coach. Mind you, this is being said while no one has actually said Manny Diaz will be uh, out of a job. Whatever the case may be, I told you, we, I you know, already gave you guys my soliloquy on the University of Miami fan base, especially the ones that are on social media. But the fact that there's a new athletic director at the University of Miami has been cause for people to speculate as to whether or not Mario Cristobal will be the next head coach at the University of Miami. So there's been a week of distraction there on top of the fact that I too just feel like Utah's um, uh, you know, undercover really good football team. And the line is a little suspicious. Here's Oregon ranked in the top four and they're an underdog? What t- how does that work? Oregon is ranked in the top four. They're in contention for the college football playoff. You're saying they're one of the best teams in the country and they're a three-point underdog to Utah. Don't bite the cheese on that. Take Utah minus three. So both Emil and I agree on that there. Here's another game that looks like kind of a setup. You know, Wake Forest has broken into the top 25 and they've got some good things going for them. And they're out there putting up crazy points each and every week. They're just out there dropping sick points on everyone. And what's their prize for entering into the college football top 25 by the committee? They're an underdog to Clemson. Once again, underdog to Clemson. It's simple for me. I just don't think you can keep playing defense the way Wake Forest is playing it and, you know, win big games. They got a win last week in which they gave up 42 points to NC State. Week before, they gave up 58 points and a loss to North Carolina. A couple of weeks before that, they gave up 56 points in a win over Army. Here's the last few games for them in terms of points allowed. 42, 58, 7, 56, 37, 34. That's just not going to get it done. Yes, I know this is not Clemson's best year. They've had their struggles. You know what? They're still playing defense over there to a certain degree. And after that Pittsburgh loss, albeit they've not played the top, top teams, they've had a chance to get a little mojo going. I think Clemson comes out and flex their muscle. We did hear Dabo Sweeney express some um, disappointment in not being ranked at all in the top 25. No one's going to really listen to Dabo there on his, his opinions. He faces a lot of hate when he's winning, and then people just don't want to hear him when he's losing. You know, there's a lot of motivation for them here. You've been kicked out of the top 25. People have just forgotten what kind of program you've been over the last five, six years in college football. Good chance for them to go out there and flex their muscle again. Beat Wake Forest, you might find yourself back in that top 25. Um, so I like Clemson, um, who is a four-point favorite, I think, at this point right now. So take Clemson, minus four. And here's another doozy for you. The pressure each and every week for Cincinnati has been absolutely overwhelming. They're trying to break into the college football top four, put themselves in playoff contention, be in the college football playoff. Um, and it just seems like each week it gets tougher and tougher for them to do that. Struggling against teams they shouldn't have to struggle against. They're feeling this pressure to really be super impressive in terms of a score. 
Um, and I think it's kind of gotten him out of whack. This week now, they go and face an SMU team that is another team that's just really, really sneaky good. And the odds makers have not done Cincinnati any favors here by making them damn near two point, uh, a two touchdown favorite against an SMU team that's eight and two on the season. It's downright disrespectful. I mean, SMU went and flexed their muscle against a UCF team last week, winning 55-28. They're going to feel really, really disrespected. Now, I know they've lost two of their last three, but they were in both of those games. The two games they've lost this year, they lost by, you know, less than a you know a touchdown or less. This is a tough football team. I just don't think it's the kind of team that you can go out and say they're a 12.5-point underdogs to a Cincinnati team that's feeling immense pressure. So uh, I like SMU. They could possibly win this thing straight up and put Cincinnati out of their misery. Cincinnati's been close to, you know, messing up everything they're trying to do for, you know, a good little, good few weeks now. Struggled with South Florida, although the final score doesn't say so, 45-28. Struggled with Tulsa, 28-20. Had some struggles with Tulane and the Navy. None of those teams are as good as SMU. This is too many points. I like SMU in this game. Let's slide over to the NFL part of things. Uh, I'm going to go first on that part of it. Um, just talking about last week, I thought I had a two and one. Um, thought I, I thought I was going to have a two and one Sunday, but I got screwed out of that. Ended up one and two. I'm 11 16 on 11 and 16 on the season. Not one of my best NFL seasons. Put together some really great NFL seasons in the past. This isn't one of them. Amel uh, was three and zero last week to complete a five and one weekend overall. He's 19 and 8 on the season. He's absolutely killing it. So I'm going to make you guys wait for his pick. So let's quickly talk about what I'm talking about this week. I'm taking the Browns as 11-point underdogs. Yes, they got completely punched in the face by the Patriots last week. It was embarrassing. This is a good opportunity for them to come back against a Lions team that got what amounts to a win for them when they tied against Pittsburgh last week. I think the Browns come out extremely motivated, get their act together, and get right against this Detroit team that's having uh, not the greatest of season, seasons. The Eagles have surprised me all year long, and um, I'm not going to get surprised anymore. I'm going to back them in their game this week as they take on the New Orleans Saints. Yes, I know the Saints lost last week. Just don't think the Saints are really that good, especially without Jameis Winston at the controls. The Eagles are doing the right things. Yes, they're four and six, but they're a surging four and six. I'm going to back the Eagles in this one. And then my final pick is Carolina. I had a chance to see that live and in person last week. Wasn't too happy with the outcome as they beat the Cardinals, but um, they are going to get at least another one week, another week of uh, surging feelings um, and a boost from the addition of Cam Newton, who's going to be the starter this week. And there's just not enough film of the Cam Newton right now as a starter for Carolina, the new Carolina um, for, you know, I think a team like Washington coming off a big win off of Tampa to be successful against. Just don't see that happening. I think Washington's going to be happy with what they did against the Buccaneers, and they're going to run into a buzzsaw, at least for this week, against Carolina, who's playing great defense. McCaffrey's a real pain in the rear end, and now they're going to add Cam to that, and I think that's going to be a problem at least for another week. Switching over to NFL for Amel, what he likes, he likes the Ravens this week, who are being, you know, piled upon because of how they performed against the Dolphins. But they are taking on the Bears, who are a sub-500 football team. A little bit too much Justin Fields love there, I think. Um, and, um, I think, I think defensively, um, Amel thinks defensively, the Ravens are going to make this a long afternoon for Justin Fields. So he likes the Ravens laying four and a half at home. Um, also likes the Texans. He said, swallow hard and give the rest of the Texans the, uh, double digit nod against the Titans. Uh, he thinks the Titans have been doing it with smoke and mirrors and, uh, some of their luck is going to run out here. So he likes the, uh, the Texans getting. 10 in their game against the Titans. And then you know what? He, he's, he's going with his Cowboys. You know Amos a big Cowboys fan. He's going to back the Cowboys in this one. He just doesn't think they should be underdog to the Chiefs. Um, he thinks the Chiefs are getting too much love for beating the dysfunctional Raiders. And the Cowboys are a really good football team that flexed their muscle last week. He thinks that continues. And um, they take offense to um, being underdogs to the Chiefs in this one. So He's going to back the Cowboys. So Ravens, four and a half. Texans, plus 10. Cowboys, two and a half is what he likes. Um, and that's, uh, that's it. That's, that's how he's rolling this weekend. So um, that's the NFL picks for Emil. And uh, for me, uh, to summarize, I like the Browns minus 11. Eagles, uh, one and a half point favorites. And I also like Carolina, who are 
three and a half point favorites this weekend. All right, and that's it. Kept this thing under an hour. I think I got a lot off my chest. Uh, we got the picks out there for you. Got a lot for you to think about and head into your weekend with uh, this week. So go ahead and enjoy it. Um, enjoy the college games. Enjoy the NFL games. Fans out there, just boo. Boo if you're at the game. Yell at your TV screen and call it a day. All right? For Emil Calamina, I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening.